Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I love learning about art anyway. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I also love learning about art. And this time I learned a lot about contemporary artists who I knew nothing about. So I'm learning even more than I ever have. This is a very exciting two-parter. This is part two, so if you have not heard part one and all of the history of the Venice Biennale, uh, you might want to go listen to that first. Um, Or if you just want to hear about contemporary artists today that are exhibiting this year, I guess you can just (laughs) ignore part one and go with part two, contemporary art only. (laughs) Just a, a bit of an overview for review of what we talked about last time, and also, you know, just to sum up what the Venice Biennale is. It's basically a uh, biannual event, hence uh, the name Biennale. Um, It dates back to 1895, and so there's usually three parts of the show. There's a central show that's in kind of an industrial building in the old dockyards um, of in Venice. It's known as the Arsenale. There's a main pavilion called the Giardini della Biennale. In there are the national pavilions. So these are the pavilions that are actually built by individual countries like France, UK, US, Brazil, Japan, like all kinds of, or many different countries from around the world. And every year, more and more countries uh, participate. And then each year there is a overall artistic director who curates the central exhibits. Um, oh, and then I should mention, in addition to the main show that's in this, these buildings uh, in Venice, there's also a, like hundreds of collateral exhibits that happen all around Venice. And then there's like talks and events and all kinds of things. It's basically six to seven months, maybe even more of art everywhere. And uh, so this year, it was, uh, as I mentioned last time, it is the second time ever in the history of uh, the Venice Biennale that a woman is directing the show. So like we said last time, they found another one. (laughs) They did it. Congratulations. And it is an Italian director. This time, her name is uh, Cecilia Alemani, uh, who actually currently works in, or for the last number of years, have been working in Manhattan. And she actually directs the art program for Manhattan's Highline. But yeah, well, and we talked about last time that the previous show um, was actually three years ago in 2019. And as we know, a lot of things got pushed back. And this was one of the things that got got pushed back because of COVID-19. And 2019's theme of the show was, may you live in interesting times. We did. <laughs> so, and I guess this year, they were like, maybe we should have a title that's a bit more vague so that we don't predict the future again. Who knows? So the title of this year's show is The Milk of Dreams. Yeah, we have, you've got to explain this to me. What does Milk of Dreams mean? I've been looking into the information of this show for like hours and hours researching, and I think it has something to do with dreaming and women. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> that, no, there has to be more. I I mean, there might be, but you may just have to be a very fancy art person to get it. I don't know. 
oh my god this is gonna haunt my dreams yeah so look i think i think like a lot of contemporary art i really think they're intentionally making it kind of vague which does not help obviously um but and that's just my interpretation because i like like why i think you know maybe women and femininity is a part of the theme uh, because there are actually a lot of women and female topics <laughs> that are in a lot of shows or a lot of a lot of there are m- many more female artists who are represented in this year's show than ever and then a lot of the themes are you know surrounding what it's like to be a woman and things like that. So, I mean, and maybe that's just a coincidence. I don't know. <laughs> so, so the actual title of this does come from the title of a book, which they yes. so they didn't totally just make this up. It's the title of a book that's like a surrealist book. That's fine, I guess. It's still unhinged to just name the theme The Milk of Dreams uh, because obviously that's just the most wild phrase and of course it's like most obviously they're like oh well it's named after this the name of this book but like obviously you don't hear that context you just hear it out of context and you can't just put the word milk into things (laughs) (laughs) well and that's the thing yeah it it is inspired by the book by the this british surrealist painter called an lenora carrington and again surrealists they don't always make sense (laughs) so and in fact, I think their aim is to not make sense and distort reality. The fact that you're confused is probably they, they they're going to think they did their job correctly. You know what? <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I've done. I've played right into their hands. <laughs> yeah. So there is a lot of interesting things that's going on with this show. Um, but I kind of, I'll just kind of point out a few. Uh, so as I mentioned th- there, uh, this show actually has a lot of works that are, uh, done by and devoted to, uh, women, uh, women of color, uh, trans people, gender non-binary people. Um, and actually it, it's the first time that a uh, black British artists, um, has won their golden line awards, which is their, I guess their best picture. Uh, so it is the first time a black artist is um, the one who's heading up the the British Pavilion. But it was also the first time one has won a Golden Lion. And then I think there is a another Golden Lion. There's there's two they usually give out, or at least they did this year. And then so the other Pavilion that won the Golden Lion for the best international exhibit was a American artist. Uh, whose name is Simone Lee, and she apparently was also the first Black woman to have uh, to head up the U.S. Pavilion. So, um, and and th- that's one of the uh, exhibitions I want to go and in- get into a little bit. Um, I do think she has a pretty interesting group of works that was presented. One of the other things that's kind of at the forefront of the show, and I mentioned last time, you know, politics and contemporary events do affect the show and sometimes can be uh, pretty central to what, what happens in the show. Um, like sometimes there were student protests that completely disrupted the show or shut it down. And then in the 70s, there was one one Venice Biennale where most of the art, they didn't present a lot of the artworks and it was ded- dedicated to the nation of Chile to protest um, General Pinochet um, at the time. And so back in February, the curator of the Russian Pavilion resigned mm. and basically just said, 
there will be no Russian pavilion this year. And the, again, this is the, the, the person, who, they, they are Russian, they were supposed to represent Russia, but the curator themselves were like, we cannot support what our country is doing. So they resigned. And, um, and there is a huge uh, Ukraine pavilion this year. Obviously, on one level, it's like, oh, well, it's kind of a bummer that Russian artists who have nothing to do with Russia's war crimes, like can't exhibit their work. But also, at that point, what choice do you have? Like, it is the only principled stance is to withdraw. And also, even if it wasn't the principled stance, if they tried to show up, even if the Venice Biennale allowed them to exhibit like no one's going to go see Russian work or celebrate Russian work right now because some things are bigger than art shows and so yeah at that point there's just no choice but to withdraw and make a statement we are still living in very interesting times <laughs> so. the, the interesting times they just start coming and they don't stop coming um yeah and then the other thing is you know even though yeah there there is a there is quite a bit of diversity in this show which is great um and, and you know to to the extent that some people there are people who complain who's like ah oh, you know there are so many women in the show where are the guys there still are a lot, a lot of guys by the way just just to make that clear oh yeah just in case um, anybody know. was worried men are still really represented <laughs> yeah in case anyone's worried they still kind of dominate a lot of the exhibitions and and you know it's not like they were told to go home or anything um you know one of our one of our favorite uh artists that we like to um you know dump on on this show uh mr anish kapoor has a show uh <laughs> where he of course uh uses his signature van to black but this time he introduced some red in his work so you know it's a change um, so i'm not going to talk about this one too much but mostly because i'm you know, again, nothing, no, this is not like I'm biased against Anish Kapoor or anything, but uh, his exhibition, it's just, it just looks a little bit gory and bloody for my taste. So, but oh, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes um, you know, if anyone wants to take a look. But it's, he uses red and black and mixes it together and it just looks like blood splatter everywhere. So, oh, anyway, wow. um, I'm sure there's other meanings, but <laughs> I did look into it. As I mentioned before, so the American pavilion uh, this year was um, done by uh, or has the artwork by American artist Simone Lee and it's actually um, curated by uh, Eva Respini who's the chief curator of the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston and I don't know if I mentioned this yet on the show but I live in Boston now by the way <laughs> oh yeah surprise reveal Betty's no longer Canadian <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, um, well, you know, I still am Canadian, and I think America makes you feel it every single day oh when you God. are not American. I bet. I bet you are the most Canadian you have ever been after <laughs> shortly after moving to America. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this, I uh, maybe... Uh, in another show, I'll talk a little bit about how, how it's been in America. I'll give a bit of a review. Uh-oh, uh don't so. do that. <laughs> but, you know, so far, so good. Um, but yes, so, you know, I was very excited. I was like, oh, hey, Institute of Contemporary Art. That's just, well, not down the street, but close-ish <laughs> to where I live. Yeah, um, and I used to live in Boston, and so yeah. I've also been there. Boston is now the artistic home of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> so, um, well, anyway, 
Um, so Simone Lee, she mostly works in bronze and c- ceramics, um, or as well as a lot of different materials, but mostly uh, her works are sculptural. And her inspirations are kind of from a mixture of styles that include um, sculptures from West Africa. um, And she's inspired by these artworks um, done in cowrie shells, as well as Egyptian uh, totem sculptures. She's also inspired by modern sculptors like uh, Alberto Giacometti and Max Ernst. And so she's kind of this this amalgamation of, you know, a lot of different inspirations. But um, when I was reading uh, some of the uh, descriptions about her work, um, is that kind of understanding these diverse inspirations is pretty important in understanding um, not only her work, but understanding the Black diaspora and how global it is, (laughs) and how there's just a lot of different diverse and complex uh, influences that everybody has. So on the um, the rc.net article, um, the first picture you'll see is the um, entrance to the U.S. Pavilion. And so the U.S. Pavilion was actually designed, um, I think I talked about it in the last episode, but like decades ago, it's been, uh, it, it's a permanent pavilion uh, that's been there for a long time. But she actually, a part of her work, she actually put this thatched straw roof canopy that goes over the entire well the entire building basically that covers uh that covers the pavilion and that is one of the artworks she um talked about how her inspiration in making this building into a thatched uh, grass roof is kind of in reference to how you know quite often the image of africa and the representation of um africans by colonialists have generally featured this very ex- uh, exhaustized view of the population. And this is kind of a representation, I-, I guess, in a way of like this, how quite often African culture has been viewed uh, in shows like these really in the past. Um, and that's that's your introduction as you, as you walk into the show. And um, I do want to talk about, um, so she... Uh, choose, she says she chose the title Sovereignty um, because she wants to convey ideas of self-determination. And so she does also want to represent Black female figures, um, but not in a uh, – but she does it in an abstract way. And she wants to – she wants us to have basically like a more complex understanding of black femininity than just, you know, what's been traditionally represented. Before I get into some of the backstory, um, just kind of looking over some of her work, um, do you want to describe like what kind of visually you see and what type of ideas you get from them? Sure. The work that I'm looking at, the the first work, Sovereignty, is First of all, just a visually very impressive experience. It's in this courtyard. And as you said, there's like the thatched roof that's been put over the edges of this building that are surround this sculpture on three sides. Um, and then centered in this photo, you have this giant black sculpture. The ground and the stairs and everything leading up and around it is white. So it is offset from the coloring of the rest of the building. It is basically a female form but it is abstracted and so 
the head is represented just by a gigantic circle way out of proportion with the rest of the sculpture. And then there's a very long neck that is just a cylinder. And then the form of the body, there are no arms and the legs are very arched like there's quite a large curved space in between the legs and then there are breasts so actually the most realistically depicted feature of the sculpture they're instantly recognizable as breasts and they are there's no other way to say this very large and saggy and the nipples (laughs) are pointed straight down um but that's that's just like a realistic shape for breasts to be as opposed to the rest of the sculpture which is a very unnatural abstracted feature of body. Um, yeah, I'm glad you described this in, in such detail because uh, one thing about her works um, that when I'm, you know, when I'm reading the notes of, you know, a, a lot of people um, who are talking about her work, because I'm trying to think, okay, why, like, why did this person win, you know, like the best in show? Like what is like, uh, you know, other than, you know, I think they're quite beautiful sculptures and it is an interesting perspective she's reflecting um but one thing that i did read that a lot of you know critics did say is that her artwork um it's not they're not just artworks that stand alone on its own like all of her works integrate with architecture somehow um like whether it's like this the arched legs of the black figure that's you know also kind of reminiscent of an arch you would walk through in architecture um, or it's the that thatched roof um, or just how her the forms of her sculpture kind of works in consort with the rest of the buildings or the surroundings um, there's always like a very careful integration that she uh, she delivers in her works and and the reason that's important other than just you know it being very thoughtful is the interplay between art and architecture have always been a very big thing in the Venice Biennale. Like there's, it's never just about, oh, here's some really nice paintings or, you know, or here's a really nice pavilion we designed. There's always a a connection between the two and artists as well as the curators and exhibition designers and architects um, always collaborate in making a cohesive work like within the entire building. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, her work is really significant in the context of of the Venice Biennale. That is the connection that, you know, it, it's, it makes with, uh, with the architecture. And then, and another example of that is, um, so this is an artwork called Last Garment. And it's another example of the, the artwork um, being a very important part of the uh, of the architecture. So, if you want to describe what you see in um, this work, this is inside in some kind of exhibit space, and it is a fully white room, blank walls, blank white walls, very large room. Um, the only thing written on the walls is the title of the exhibit, Sovereignty, um, and Simone Lee, and then. In the center foreground of the photo, we have what looks to be a pool. I mean, this could be one of those tricks where it's not actually water, but it looks like a big black pool, very shallow. Uh, And there is a sculpture in the left-hand corner. It appears from the perspective that I'm seeing, there's no thing else in the picture, so I can't quite see the scale. could be a trick. Uh, But it appears to be a life-size sculpture of a woman uh with her hands 
I think maybe on a rock or maybe not on a rock, maybe just holding something. But she's basically bent over at her waist and she has her hands uh, in the water on top of something, doing something. Um, she is wearing a dress that is sculpted with quite a lot of details in the fabric and she has a short afro and uh, yeah I can't really make out what she's doing with her <laughs> hands but something about garments I would guess yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah the picture this picture itself is it isn't great and I figured this is probably something that would you know have a more impact if we actually got to go to Venice and see it ourselves so it's a bronze um sculpture of a bent over uh, washerwoman of jamaican heritage so she's literally there washing clothes so what's in her hand is i think like a glob of whatever clothes she's washing which probably looks like it could be it could be a rock um or maybe she's washing it over a rock i'm not sure um but the uh, imagery itself is was is actually taken from a vintage postcard that depict um, basically colonial stereotypes of many people, but uh, specifically um, black people. And so this woman, this is a Jamaican woman who's you know washing clothes. And Simone Lee herself actually, um, her parents came to the U.S. as missionaries from uh, the Caribbean, and so. A, you know, it's a connection that is specific to her heritage, um, but it it isn't just, you know, it isn't just about a Jamaican woman specifically. Really, this is representing, you know, a stereotype and that has been perpetuated in imagery in America. And of course, you know, the very overt message of, you know, a completely white room in a traditional, not only white institution, but our galleries tend to just have bare white walls as well. So it's a very typical like art setting. Uh, but then there's literally a pool of blackness that is reflecting at us. Yeah, I find it really interesting the way that she's not only using space in her work as incorporation with the art and architecture like you were talking about, and also having all of these themes of deconstructing narratives and using stereotype i do think um you know unfortunately i cannot get myself to venice um <laughs> what why not yeah I know. so yeah but i it definitely i would definitely like to see um this work in person and but fortunately you know she um is uh, american so i very possibly there could be some of her work here in the U.S. that we could see. So I definitely would like to see some of her work in person because, of course, sculpture, it's always better to see it in 3D. We will move on now from America all the way over to uh, Europe uh, and very east in Europe to uh, Ukraine, which I mentioned at the top of the podcast. This is an exhibition that's called uh, Piazza Ukraina, which it's Italian for Ukraine Square, and it features all kinds of artworks uh, from Ukrainian artists, and all of them have to do with what's happening currently in Ukraine. All of the artworks in this show, I believe, were created in 2022, and most of it have been by Ukrainian artists who either were in Ukraine um, or some still are in Ukraine who have been all been affected by the current conflict. And also for frame of reference, because we record these a few weeks in advance, it is May 16th as we're recording this. So if there are any major updates on the invasion of Ukraine that we are not referencing here, that is why. 
Right. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, so this exhibition, it was compiled by um, the Ukrainian Emergency Art Fund. Um, and it's an organization that that's uh, curating this, uh, the Venice Biennale. So the, uh, the exhibition itself, like I mentioned before, the pavilion has been designed uh, in addition to the artworks that are featured in it. So the pavilion was designed by the um, architect Dana Kosmina. And when you walk in Ukraine, Ukraine Square, there's there's a t- t- tower that's made of sandbags in the center of the exhibition, and it has three sides that have vertical wood panels that have reproductions of wartime paintings and illustrations on it, with the sand tower um, in the middle. And so, um, and, and the sandbag tower, it not only you know references war, um, but it, the shape of it is also kind of reminiscent of a lot of Ukrainian architecture as well. And in a way, it looks like it could be like, you know, in the form of an ancient monument. But of course, the materials are of sandbags. This is an artwork by uh, the artist Kadia Buchaska, um, who was she was uh, she's from uh, Kiev, but she was actually away from home at the time in Lviv, Ukraine, <clears throat> when it was attacked. And so she was at the time, um, all she had was a tablecloth. And so she basically made this artwork from the tablecloth that she had at the time. And so this was in uh, March 20, March 2022. Um, and then what you'll see on the tablecloth is that it looks, um, like there's a bunch of markings on it, and the markings are from the objects she just had lying on the tablecloth at the time. And then she, um, I think she used a pencil to out- draw on them and outline the the objects she had on there. Um, so there's a quote from her that I think is quite interesting. Um, so she said, making art during wartime is both too difficult and too easy. She said, um, it's difficult because it's impossible to argue with the war and any statement and any statement looks helpless and useless. And yet the all encompassing nature of the war makes it easy too, because there's a topic that you want to talk about exclusively. Um, and then so she said after the initial she said after the initial shock that paralyzed her, she realized I still have the right to testify and that my experience, although not a combat one, is also important. Overall, I find this whole exhibit interesting from the way that it is all just images of the artwork and it is displayed in such a different way than most of the exhibitions are here because obviously the logistics of the situation is is so different than the rest of the Biennale that that you just have these like printed out pictures of the artwork because you can't get all this stuff physically here and it's not physically available um but in itself I just think is so striking and it's also so striking the way that it incorporates different reactions to this like in the point of of this tablecloth piece of like just representing a whole host of different experiences with this war and not just like directly being in the fighting or something like that and it's like every single one of those experiences is important and and paints a picture of what's going on exactly yeah and and that's the thing with you know so many conflicts but i think especially this one is that it's so many civilians or like uh, pretty much all civilians in Ukraine are just uh, 
you know, deeply affected and, and devastated. Uh, another one, um, so I think if you scroll to the, the next artwork that really impacted me when I looked at it, and especially I read the artist statement, um, is that so this work is by uh, Daniel Nimirovsky, and it's called The Young Family. So it's this picture that was sketched by, I want to say, red pen um, on paper. And the artist was, at the time, he was holed up in a bomb shelter in Maripool, which is you know, a city that has had some of the worst and most relentless attacks by um, by Russian forces. And he documented his life underground, uh, you know, for uh, really uh, for weeks. And so he said he's now uh, in the same... Not completely safety in relative in relative safety in Kiev, um, but yeah. So he said at one point he, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't even know if he will live or die, and he don't know he didn't know if he's gonna die from starvation or dehydration. But he said uh, a quote from him was he said art gave me a sense of a certain rationalization of events because art for me is a way of knowing and a way to see. And so he said it was difficult to see in a shelter because it was near total darkness. Um, and then every 15 minutes, there were planes dropping bombs nearby. Um, so yeah, so I think, you know, art is already difficult to make when you can see, when you can have light. But uh, apparently, it seems like a lot of the works he, a lot of the sketches and the drawings he did are in like almost near darkness. So he just gives a whole new level to the conditions, just knowing the conditions that he created these works, um, I think it's it's deeply, like, impacting. Yeah, I've seen other works before that were created by people who are under attack. And the context in which a work was made can be a part of that art just as much as the physical product is. And this is definitely a case of that. Um, and uh, another work um, that I uh, kind of caught my attention uh, was uh, this work by um, an artist from Singapore uh, in the Singapore Pavilion. Uh, it's by the artist uh, Shubigi Rao, and it's called Pulp 3, A Short Biography of the Banished Book. It's an exhibition that represents a 10-year research project, actually, by the artist who explores the history of book destruction, uh, as well as the destruction of like languages and literature in general. So books and literature and languages that perished over time in history in all kinds of different places. And it's presented in a form of, of a book and film and apparently a paper maze. Yeah, it explores the destruction of knowledge, languages, and books. Um, but uh, it, there's also explorations of things like alternative libraries um, and different printing communities and technologies over history. Specifically, um, actually, she did a lot of research on uh, Venice it, itself. There's a, a history of the uh, printing, printmaking was a, a huge part of uh, Venetian history back in the 15th and 16th century. And and apparently, um, you know, it actually some of the oldest known books in um, Slavic, Arabic, Hebrew, German and French can be traced back to being widely printed in Venice. Um, anyway, so she did a lot of research about various places around the world like Venice um, and Singapore and the um, like movements of literature there, but as well as, you know, the destruction of literature um, over time. For me, I I think, you know, one, I, I 
it, this kind of caught my eye because, you know, I really like books um, and libraries and, and reading. Um, but also, I, I do think the, you know, the topic of banning books and different powers, like having control over knowledge and, and culture and what people can and cannot have access to is also a thing that I think is pretty important, like in many places around the world uh, these days. And so, yeah, and so this kind of, this is an exhibition that explores um, a lot of topics surrounding that. Um, so anyway, I think, yeah, I think this is, uh, this particular work, you know, it didn't, it actually didn't win any of the awards and isn't one of the most talked about pieces. Um, but I actually, I think this is kind of cool. And again, I, I, I wish I could see it, but if anybody is in Venice and do get to see this, I would love to know what you think. As someone who is working on becoming an archivist, I am so thrilled that you've brought this work of art into my life. I think this is so cool. This is one of the all time pieces that I've seat on this show that I really want to go see in person. I want to walk through the paper maze. <laughs> I know. I mean, I've already showed my hand. I think this is an extremely important topic. I think the preservation of books and of history is a really important topic. And I think the way that these things are destroyed through neglect or through direct attacks or even just through the the churning sands of time um, is something that it is really hard to combat. And people, lots of people work all the time to combat that churn. And so taking, as you put, like her 10 years of research and translating even just some of it into these immersive art experiences is such an achievement. And I want to go and I want to watch as they put the entire 90-minute film that they made about the research. I want to watch it. It's for me. I'm the target audience. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And and it even said, you know, I think I, um, I've read a part of, you know, like an interview with her where she, uh, I think it was either her or the curator who said yeah the you know the movie is 90 minutes i'm sure not most people are not gonna sit through the whole 90 minutes but we made it in a way that even if you watch for like five minutes of it you get the gist of the information so we hope you know people will take away important information as, as they leave but i think you and i would be like no we'll, we'll sit there for 90 minutes like we'll watch the whole thing <laughs> A quote from uh, Shubigi Rao uh, about this uh, exhibition is, she said, uh, mass literacy movements, especially cheap forms of mass printing, like pamphleteering, remains important to many global social movements and struggles for equality. Um, and I think this is really important, uh, you know, obviously for the reasons of it being important for social movements, but also these days with so many like digital forms of pretty much everything you or many things you can get many things you can have access to in digital form there's a tendency for people to think oh you know books we don't really need them anymore um we can just digitize everything or you can google it or download it or whatever which i think is important also because again digitization does help to preserve knowledge but at the same time you know we forget that cheap forms of mass printing is still important because not everybody has a computer yep 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 the, the meat space of the world continues to be important, no matter what some people would desire. It is an inescapable fact. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, anyway, so yeah, so that's just kind of, you know, three pavilions out of, for the national pavilions, there's at least like 
there's less than a hundred, but almost there's a lot. And then on top of that, there's hundreds of other um, exhibitions and artworks all over Venice. So yeah, if you're there, you know, I would encourage you to check it out and let us know. Um, and then hopefully in the future, one of these days, we can do a pictorial from Venice, but that probably won't be for a while. <laughs> Reporting on the ground from the Venice Biennale. <laughs> if you would like to support us in getting there, please support us on our membership. No, <laughs> no. Uh, no I don't think that um, podcast membership is going to get us to Venice. But if you did choose to support us in membership drive, thank you very much. Um, all, that episode now just lives on the feed forever. So if you want to go hear us talk about Doctor Who, that episode is available for you all now. And this will be the last time we mention this for another year. So you're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. Great fun. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Fictorial. You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial, or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. You can also find me on Instagram at aspiringrobotfm. And you can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at articulationsv. And I'm also on YouTube as articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a pictorial podcast youtube channel where we will upload um, video versions of our audio episodes accompanied by pictures of what we talk about so for this one you will enjoy some some great contemporary art along with our voices thanks for listening art enthusiasts